Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and we'll be looking at the first two verses of that chapter. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. So this, these two verses have an importance um, disproportionate to their size, I think. And we've talked about the gospel. We've talked about although we were sinners and we deserve the wrath of God. God has made peace through us through the, through the resurrect, death and resurrection of Christ, that he has united us to Christ and given us the Holy Spirit. And now he moves on to our part in the Christian life. This is what God has done. And now he is talking about what you are called to do in response to such a great gift of the gospel. So read with me the first two verses of Romans 12, 1 through 2. The Apostle Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, there is a, uh, an assumption, I think, kind of broiling underneath the surface of a lot of Christian churches today in their minds today. Um, and the assumption is that the height of Christian piety, the height of Christian piety is brokenness. It's, it's being broken because of your sin. Now, I think that is certainly part of Christian piety, and that's part of holiness, to understand that you are unworthy and that you're dependent on the Lord. Amen? However, brokenness itself is not the height of Christian piety. Worship is. Worship is the pinnacle of the Christian life. So, if you can come to a place of brokenness, praise God. But I want to help us move past that place and move forward to actually serving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So while brokenness isn't, you cannot be whole by yourself as a Christian. You understand that. We understand that. But brokenness itself is not the pinnacle of Christian piety. Worship and service to the Lord is the height of Christian piety. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, called his disciples the salt of the earth. And he says, if the salt has lost its saltiness, what good is it but to be cast out and trodden underfoot? So a Christian who is not living and breathing, acting, loving, like a Christian, is not using the gifts that God has given him for God's glory, not bringing himself into service. And I want to encourage you to bring yourselves into service of the Lord. 
Jesus said, by this my Father is glorified. Now, why is your Father glorified? That you constantly mourn your sin? Perhaps. But even more than that, even more than mourning our sin, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Now, I am not belittling the horror of sin. And as long as I'm preaching in this church, you will know that sin is a great evil. And I'm not pulling the punch on sin, but we need to move past past a certain point as an evangelical church, and I want our church to be on board with moving past that to service, holiness, and worship of God. So, in this passage, the Apostle Paul moves from truth to practice. From the sacrifice of Christ to the sacrifice of our lives. From the receiving of the Holy Spirit to the living in the Holy Spirit. From union with Christ to service to Christ. And in the Apostle Paul's letters, there's always a theological, rich, deep theological backbone at the beginning. And then he goes into the life lived in response and through that truth. So worship is the height of Christian experience. Um, so this, this right here, Romans 12, 1 and 2, is your best life now. This is your best life. I don't even say that tongue-in-cheek. I think that's a great, that's the title of this sermon, your best life now, is to be a living sacrifice for the Lord. What a glorious thing to have your day-to-day life actually serve eternal purposes in the courts of the Lord and last forever and increase the name, the praise, and the glory of God. Is it, is that, that is a marvelous gift that we've been given, that we can serve the Lord as priests to him. So, this is about the life, this is your best life right now. It is a life lived for the most ultimate, most worthy of purposes, and that is worship. So, let's walk through this text together. In verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Salvation comes with an appeal, according to the Apostle Paul. There's a therefore. Now, what has gone before are the mercies of God. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. What are these mercies? That though you deserve the wrath of God, you, and though your sin be as scarlet, they have been washed as white as snow. That though you deserve the wrath of God, God has held out, held out an offer, an offer of peace in Jesus Christ, a scepter that allows you to enter his presence. So now you have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And that, 
you have union with Christ so that where Christ is, you are through faith with him. Christ shares with you what belongs to him so that actually as Christians, we are in a better position now because of Christ than if Adam and Eve had not have fallen. We actually share the privileges and the glory that belongs to Christ. And these are things into which angels long to look. And that you've been given the Holy Spirit. And that he not only releases you from the penalty of sin, but he releases you from the power of sin in your life and enables you enables you to live according to the righteous requirements of the law, thus fulfilling God's perfect will in your life. These are the mercies of God, and they are good things. Amen? So, as I've said many times from this pulpit, it is salvation is not just a matter of being saved from something. It's a matter of being saved to something. The mercies of God are the instrument that enables you to live for God. So yes, you've been saved from the by the death of Christ, but you've been saved too by the resurrection of Christ. Now, we don't only receive the mercies, um, well, we receive the mercies, and now it's it's through them. They're the instrument. We are transformed by these mercies. See, union transforms us. The Holy Spirit transforms us. And now we're enabled. We're enabled to live according to God's will. So we must perform the function that we're created. Why were you created? In what image were you created? The image of God. To glorify him. This is now a call for us to perform that function to glorify God as people made in his image for his glory. So um, last week, when, after we had our, um, our church picnic, we were on our way home, and my car, uh, fortunately I was on 52, and my car, I, I couldn't steer the car anymore. It started to shut down. And I was only, only about a football field away from my house, so praise God. So I came in, I pulled into someone's driveway nearby, and the car just started to shut down. I had no idea. Well, it was the easiest fix a man could do. I just ran out of gas. So I just completely ran out of gasoline. So I grabbed my gasoline, I, I got the other car, got the gasoline, and filled it up. Now, why did I fill up the car? Why did I do that? So it could perform the function that I wanted it to perform, so it could perform the function that I bought it for, which was when I turned the key in the ignition and step on the gas, it it made me move in a certain direction, right? So I put the gas, I put the fuel in, so that it could perform the function for which it is intended, for which it was created. That is what I'm saying about the Christian life. That you were empty, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, having no hope and without God in the world. You could not steer, you were sitting there in someone's driveway in the rain, but God, 
being rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ, united us to Christ, and gave us the Holy Spirit, has given us grace. And I, I heard someone say that a Christian burns grace like a 747 burns diesel. A Christian lives on grace. So you don't start with grace and then move on. You live, you burn. Grace is your fuel to live the Christian life. So the reason, the reason that you've been given grace and the mercies of God, the highest, there are other reasons, but the highest, ultimate, most glorious reason that you've been given union with Christ, the possession of the Holy Spirit, and the grace of God is so that, so that you would glorify God and you would be able to glorify God again. Romans 8, which we went through a few months ago now, says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. What could the law not do? It couldn't save us from sins, and it could not. It could not enable you, could not enable you to live according to God's will, to live in agreement with God's will. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that, in order that, the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That is the reason that you are saved for the glory of God through obedience to him, which you have been able to do through the Holy Spirit who unites us to Christ, who himself has shared with us the life that belongs to him. So there's a, there's a song. Um, I, I, like this, I like this song, so don't get me wrong. But honestly, I think it betrays it, it betrays that underlying assumption I talked about a few minutes ago. The song is um, about the Christian life. And the singer says, We fall down and we get up. We fall down and we get up. We fall down and we get up. And the saints are just the sinners who fall down and get up. Now, I, I, I kind of like that because you're never, I don't want to be overly triumphant here and, and give and, and stain and wound your conscience because you will sin. John says that if anyone says he has no sin, he's a liar. So I'm not a liar here. You're going to sin. But is that all the Christian life is? Falling down and getting up, falling down and getting back up? I think there's more, there's more of a triumphant, victorious aspect to the Christian life. Yes, we will fall down. And yes, you must get up. 
But the Apostle Paul says, I press on to make him my own because Christ has made me his own. Strive for holiness. Whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is honorable, think on these things. So if we're saying, if our message to the world, this is a huddle, a team huddle here, all right? If our message to the world is constantly, well, it's about falling down and getting back up, then don't be surprised that when the world looks at the church, it does not glorify God. Don't be surprised that when they see our works, they do not give glory to our Father in heaven. Because there is no difference. Because everyone falls down and gets back up again. All right? The Christian life is about the glory of God through your actions. And while you have an advocate with the Father, when you do fall, and you will fall, the Christian life, I don't want to coddle falling. I don't want to coddle a a life, a Christian life that is not moving forward. The world will, we should not be surprised if the world looks at us and does not glorify God if all we say about the church is, well, it's just a bunch of sinners who fall down and get back up. No, it's not. It is not that. It's the bride adorned for her husband. It's a people with the Spirit animated by God himself, animated by God's presence. It's about falling down and then getting up and pressing on and doing good work so that others might see it and glorify your Father in heaven. A different quality of life. That's what we're being called to in Romans 12. Our unique quality of life so that when other people see it they they do see a difference they do see that you have not been conformed to the world they see something unique they see that you are salt that has saltiness they see that you are a light on a hill and and you shine in a peculiar and strange yet noticeable way so Salvation comes with an appeal. What is the height of the Christian life then? The Apostle Paul says, By the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The height of the Christian life is summed up in that one word, worship. That's what the Apostle Paul calls you to. Worship with your life. Three aspects I want to point out here. Number one, Paul talks about an embodied spirituality. Not just a platonic spirituality which separates the spirit from what you actually do. A very dangerous idea. Which separates the spirit from how you actually live. Your body. Spirituality for a Christian is very physical. It's very material. It's very tangible. It's also thought and mind and spirit. The Lord weighs the heart. But it is about what you do as well. It is about how you live. So he says, present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Your bodies. That means arms and hands. 
and heads and eyes, what you see and what you hear, and how you speak with your tongues and other members of your body. Present those to God as a living sacrifice. Concrete manifestations in your life. That's what one uh, commentator put it. I love that. I love that phrase. Paul is talking about con- glorif- glorifying God with concrete manifestations of your life. Physical, material, eyes and hands, money and houses, cars and swimming pools, food and bicycles. And glo- you can use those to glorify God. It's a deliberate presentation of the whole self to God. So that's embodied spirituality. Number two, this embodied spirituality is lived as an offering to God. So present your bodies a living sacrifice. So you know God still requires sacrifices. It's not as if the Old Testament's over and now we don't sacrifice. No, we sacrifice. It's just a sacrifice is our life. It's us now, a living sacrifice. How you live, holy and acceptable before him. Holiness means separated unto the Lord. Separated apart to the Lord. Now, it is true that the more worldly our surrounding culture gets, the more we will need to seclude ourselves from the world. I'm not a seclusionist. I'm not an Anabaptist in that sense necessarily or a Mennonite. However, however, the more worldly the world gets, the more we'll have to stay away from the kinds of media that's being put out and not imbibing that culture that's, that just shoved down our throat. It's... it's um. Do you not, don't, we, we are wiser than to be fooled by Satan's devices. And we know that the kind of debauched life that comes forward in the television through, through the different programs or movies and uh, reality TV shows, it's just, it presents you a picture of reality that invites you in to that kind of gossiping, that kind of fighting, that kind of unholy, that kind of worried life. Don't buy into that picture because Satan would lure you in with the concerns of the world like that. So it's an embodied sacrifice. It is a sacrifice holy and acceptable. That's what I'm that's what Paul's saying here. The Christian life Broken and wounded, yes, but now holy and acceptable to God. Separate and worthy because of the Holy Spirit. Third, this is how you worship God. So the presentation of your whole self, mind, heart, body, as holy and acceptable is how you worship the Lord. So individual piety is an act of worship. It is, it is worship. Um, Brother Lawrence, 
uh, I believe he was a, a monk, but he had a phrase um, that I've, let's see if I do memorize it. He, he said at one point in his book, practicing the presence, and I, I don't agree with him on everything, but he, um, he talks about how he decided to live his whole life in service to God, and he, d he endeavored to think nothing, say nothing, or do nothing without it being in intentional service to God. Now, I, I fear that there are many people today that might think that that's legalistic or something, and I think that's a beautiful, beautiful worldview that even every thought, whether I pick up a pencil or drink orange juice or coffee or or when I'm cooking my steak, which Nydia cooks much better than me, I found out, because she was gone Monday and Tuesday, and I cooked a steak wrong, and it didn't taste that good. But when, when you do these things, if you can do it in thanksgiving, if you can do it in acknowledgement that God has provided it for you, if you can do it in service for other people, if you can eat it for strength and energy that you want to expend for the Lord, it's a beautiful thing to want every waking moment to be in service to God. So, spiritual there is not the best translation, which is your spiritual worship. Uh, the word there is not spiritual. So I, sometimes I don't, I don't get that, why the ESV, it's so literal sometimes, but then it takes certain words and trans, translates them very literally. The word there is logikos, and it refers to authenticity, uh, trueness, realness. So uh, this is your true and authentic worship. So presenting your bodies to God as a living sacrifice is how you authentically worship God. So when Paul says, I want everyone to lift holy hands, He's talking about the emphasis is on the holiness of the hands. He says, don't be coming to church lifting your hands without them being holy before the Lord. Same thing, it's kind of the idea that Jesus said, so if your brother has a, a fault against you, go, don't, become, don't do ritualism here without your, with your relationships being embroiled in hatred or strife. Lifting holy hands. So, we are not called to ritualism, just going through the motions. We're not called to tokenism, just offering money or time or pacifying God um, by giving something. We are called to the, an entire life, physical and spiritual, embodied service to the Lord. Everything to the Lord. This is, not, this is not a burden. This is a joy. This means if when someone steps into this, they are living the eternal life now. Because eternal life will be a life in worship of the Lord. And we will, we will, be, so, we will be so excited and happy and united. And it is going to be fun. And it will be interesting and it will be what other words can i use give me a word john glorious adventure 
glorious adventure. I like that. We're, and God is infinite. So we haven't, we haven't, we'll never fully discover. It's not as if we will fully be able to exhaust the knowledge of God. Indescribable. So it's going to be a joyous thing. But if you can step into eternal living now, if you want to step into eternal living now, it is endeavoring to make every waking moment a moment lived in service of God. As a matter of joy. As a matter of joy. Not as a matter of beating yourself like Martin Luther did wrongly. Not as a, not as a burden. Oh, i got to think about God when I'm doing this. It's not a matter of that. It's, it's living organically in service of God. Making his joy your strength. All right, let me move from that. So the presentation of the whole self, body and mind, to God is a living sacrifice. That is why you were saved. That's why you were saved. Second Corinthians 5, somewhere. Apostle Paul says, And he died that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him whose for whose sake died, for your sake died and rose again. So he died, that Christ died, that those who live, you and me, might no longer live for ourselves, but for him, Christ, who died and rose again. 2 Corinthians 5, I want to say 15 to 19, 15 to 16 ish, somewhere like that. So, that's very important to understand that you were saved to, to perform the function for which you were created, the glory of God as being the image of God. So, as far as church, so what are we doing here? What am I, what am I preaching this message for? Why do we gather on Sunday mornings? What's the purpose? Many people have said, well, the church is a hospital for the sick. And many people who have said that, I really love them. They're my brothers. But that is not all the church is. It's not just a hospital for the sick. A pastor's job is not just to pet the sheep, right? The church, I don't want to say it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an equipping time. Right? That's what the Apostle Paul says. To equip the saints for the work of service in their life unto God. I was watching a baptism online today. Somebody I knew. Someone's daughter was baptized. And the baptizer, the pastor, again, I, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with anything I've said today. Brokenness is good. The sick should come in to the church, right? I've not come to call the righteous, quote-unquote, but sinners to repentance. Those who are well have no need of a physician. So uh, I am, what I'm doing in this sermon is I'm challenging a flattened notion of the Christian life. Okay? A linear notion of the Christian life where it's all just about receiving from God. The Christian life is more than being receptive. It's being proactive for God's glory. So the baptizer for this young lady said, now I want you to know, she was in the water, now I want you to know, he said, 
and God bless them. He said that no matter, this is something I iterated to her very carefully, he said, no matter how close you want to get to God, you will fail. And no matter how you fail, no matter how often you fail, Jesus will never love you any less. First of all, I want to say praise God to that. Because height, nor depth, nor principalities, nor rulers, nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so, and second of all, you will fail. However, and, and of course we need healing, and of course we need forgiveness. But now is the time to move forward to health. Um, so, you will fail. So I feel like a baptism is a time to commit your life to God, to devote yourself to God, that they might see your good works and glorify God. And so I think if all, again, again I say, if all we say is we will fail and God will never, I feel like I've heard that so many times. A Christian fails and God will still love you. And it's almost that's all we say. And as I said before, don't be surprised if the world doesn't glorify God. The book of Hebrews, chapter 5, the author says, By now you should be teachers to this congregation. But you need somebody to go back and teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. Repentance of dead works, washing, baptism, and Let's move on, he's saying. Let's move on into health, into strength, into helping a brother up. You, if you're going to help, we're on a journey. If you're going to help your brother up on the journey, you need to be strong enough to pick him up. We do this, however, and I, I don't want to be misunderstood. We do this not in our own strength, but in the strength that God supplies always in the strength that God supplies. You and me, by ourselves, are empty shells of a worthless being. But, 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 having been filled with God's grace and having his life dwell within us, now we are no longer empty shells, but filled vessels for his glory, enabled, enabled to glorify God. So Dallas Willard said, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you do nothing, it will be apart from him. Right? Because Christ enables you. So when I do nothing, it's apart from Christ. It's not in Christ's strength. Christ is talking about ability. The vine, the vine, the the vitality of the vine flows to and through the branches, producing fruit in your life. So, yes, yes, you will fail, and God does not love you less when you do fall into sin. But let's take let's let's get a new bumper sticker for the Christian life. How about life to the glory of God? How about Give your whole life as a, as a spiritual sacrifice to the Lord. How about something like that? Something that, that actually is in agreement with why God saved you. 
All right. Then, Apostle Paul, after having said, given the appeal, talked about the main thing of living sacrifice, he says, do not be conformed to this world. Conformed. So imagine tinfoil wrapping, wrapping around something. That's always what I think of when I think of conformed. I'm being conformed to the shape that this world takes. And this world, the word there, again, ESV, I don't know, is age. Do not be conformed to this age. And the age is the world system. It's the, it's the patterns of thought that this world imbibes. Expressive individualism um, mean, means that the height, uh, the height of an individual's life is being able to reach down inside and fully express themselves. That's not, that's not the Christian message. The Christian message is being filled, being filled with something we don't have, not reaching down into our depths. Um, conform to this world. It could be constantly being a person who is immediately outraged at anything he's offended by. That's also being conformed to this world. Being conformed to this world would be becoming embroiled in the cause. Whatever that cause might be, and there are causes to the right, and there are causes to the left. And I want to say that Satan does not matter, does not give, does not care at all which cause you're wrapped up in, so long as it is not the cause of Christ. Conformity to this world might be imbibing the media, which, which will throw at you darts of lusts and gossip and passions and rumors and, fil- and make you feel hurried and desperate and will want you to get yourself up there for attention and to make a name for yourself. That is, that's, the, that's conformity to the world. However, as a Christian, the freedom you have, the freedom you have as a Christian is to determine what you are allowed to occupy your mind. That is the freedom you have. You have the freedom to allow whatever you want to occupy your mind. So what will that be? Now, as I preach this to you, I'm looking out at you, and you guys have done well in the Christian life. All right, I'm, I'm preaching to you, but I realize that I'm preaching to brothers and sisters who have not been conformed to this world. And I'm so thankful for you. Continue to not be conformed. Press on. You're doing, you are doing well. Continue on in not being conformed to this world. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things of the earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. 
setting your mind on things above. Continue to do that because you, brothers and sisters, have done well. We have failed at times, but we have done well. So continue to press on and grow and be strong in the said that talking with Dallas Willard was like talking with somebody who was tuned into frequencies that you are not tuned into. <laughs> I think that is such an interesting phrase because the very reason Dallas Willard and men like him, Paul Washer, it comes to mind, the reason, the very reason, precise reason that they are effective is because they're not, they're not imbibing what is around them. Their mind, are on thing, their mind is on things above. And you can almost see it in the person. You can almost see that what's around them is of secondary importance and less real to them than what is above them. I want to be like that, and I want you to be like that. That doesn't mean never engaging in the world. It, it means putting the world in its proper place, knowing that these things are sure to pass away. This age will pass away, but, but the eternal things remain. That which is seen is transient, the Apostle Paul says, but that which is not seen is eternal. Um... So be careful what you imbibe. If you don't want to be conformed to this world, don't take in. Be careful what you take in. You know, you know why flamingos are pink? Because <laughs> they eat pink food. And it comes out. And they're pink because they eat pink stuff. Isn't that funny? I think that's such an analogy of the spiritual life. Do you know why some people are gossips, lustful, hateful, cheaters, and liars. You know why that is? I think, number one, it's human nature. Number two, they haven't been transformed. But I'll tell you, what does not help is constantly imbibing those things. You are what you love. And what you love is what you do and what you entertain yourself with. All right. Do not be conformed to this world, but but what? Be transformed. And that is, that's what I'm saying today. Transformed by the renewal of your mind. So the aim of Christian living is transformation. Metamorpho, which almost sounds like metamorphosis. Transformation. Not just falling down and getting back up, but having fallen down and gotten, and gotten back up, becoming strong and running harder and becoming a muscular Christian. Transformation. Um, and to be transformed means that there's a, an essential change in your nature. But Paul's telling us to do this, to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That means... That entails intentional, co intentional cooperation with and engagement with the things of God. The Holy Spirit and the Word. 
being two very prominent and important resources that we've been given to live for God. It, be in the Word. Be in the Word. Every day. If you wake up early in the morning, and I know some, I've talked to many people who have jobs that require them to be early on the job. I, I encourage you to set aside a time, maybe at night, then, to be in the Word. If you can do in the morning, even better. Give your life, give your light, give intentional time to the Lord. And yes, yes, you will not always, <laughs> you, will, you will not always <laughs> come away with a glorious, <laughs> you know, vision of something. Sometimes it's just going to be mundane. But press forward and understand that the Spirit does work that you cannot perceive, first of all. And second of all, um, that consistency is how somebody becomes something, right? Consistency. If you want to be a great baseball player, you don't stand there and then decide one day to practice all day and think you're going to make the majors. That's a, that doesn't do it. Consistency. So years, years, there's a book called Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That's the Christian life. It's a long obedience in the same direction, which so flies in the face of our culture, which is immediate, immediate outcomes, immediate answers. The Christian life is long obedience. Oaks of Righteousness. Is in the Bible. I forget where that phrase is, but we want to become oaks of righteousness. It takes a long time for a tree to grow. Long obedience. Play the long game in the Christian life, and there will be days that are that are that you come to the Scripture and you are filled, and there are days that you will come to the Scripture and you may not be as filled. That's okay. That's okay. That's that's part of growth. And what might the Lord be even teaching you through that non-experiential experience. Um, transformed by the renewals of, renewing of your mind. It should be renewing, constantly renewing your mind. So that means patterns of thinking. How you think, that's what re patterns, patterns of thought is how you re renew your mind. And the patterns of correct thinking is in Scripture. So that's very important that we're in the Word. So have a consistent pattern of renewing your mind so as to discern what is the will of God. So how do you know what the will of God is? On, if you have a decision to make or if you're presented with a thing, there is going to be times it takes wisdom and thought and, and extended prayer. And you should always... Go to the Lord with a big decision or any decision you have to make. However, however, the renewing of the mind entails that you've been renewing. You've been, you have been renewing this whole time so that you can discern the will of God. You become wiser. Your nature will have changed. You, you become more apt to be in tuned into the frequencies of God's will. So, that is the 
best life now. That's your best life right now. It is to live your life as a sacrifice to God and to worship him with what you have. Why does, why does the shepherd in Psalm 23 lead you in paths of righteousness? Why does he do that? For his name's sake. That's why he does it. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. For the grace of God has appeared. Why did he give you grace? To train you to renounce ungodliness and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Why did Christ die for you? That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. Why is the Holy Spirit in you? That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. But walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You see what I'm saying? The Christian life is a life given to you. A life given to you. And which you are now being asked to live. One thing about sacrifice, and then we'll conclude. Sacrifice means offering to the Lord what costs you something. That's what a sacrifice is. I think, I forget, was it Abraham when he bought the tomb? He, he, he insisted that he pay for the tomb, and he said something like, I think this was him, he said, I will not offer to the Lord what has cost me nothing. What a great theme for Christian living. I will not offer to the Lord what has cost me nothing. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus, he said, yeah, I've done everything, but the, but the Lord knew precisely the one thing that would cost him which he was not willing to give up. And so Jesus, in his wisdom, says, you lack one thing and one thing only. You like, here's the one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and follow me. That's the one thing you lack. I love that. He knew, he knew exactly what stood in this man's way from being a full disciple. So ask yourself today, what is the one thing I lack? It doesn't always have to be an extreme thing. The Lord isn't asking everyone to go die in the mission field. And you wouldn't be a good missionary anyhow if you didn't know the language of the place you're going to. So that requires preparation. It doesn't always mean giving everything you have to the poor. But I will say one thing. It doesn't always not mean those things. It doesn't always not mean, because a lot of preachers have said what I just said. It doesn't always mean giving all your money. But it doesn't always not mean giving all your money, right? Sometimes it does. It doesn't always mean giving your life on the mission field, but it doesn't always not mean that. Sometimes it does. So what's the, what is the one thing I lack? Wealth was, was the thing hindering um, that man be, from becoming a fully devoted Disciple to Christ. So what is, think about one thing. Here's the application action for today. Think about that one thing that you can bring in better service to the Lord, a sacrifice to the Lord. 
If you're thinking money, that's the obvious thing. It could be money. If you're thinking missions, that's another obvious thing. It could be missions. But it could be harboring resentment. It could be holding back some service you could give to Christ or to his people. What's the one thing you lack? What is that thing that you're clinging to, if there is such a thing, that might keep you from following Jesus even more closely? I suggest you dwell on that, and I will dwell on that too. Think on these things. But here, the, bef- having thought about those things, bring yourself into service of the Lord with your, with your conscience pure. And whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever, whatever is honorable, think on those things. things. Think on things above, not on things of the earth. Do not be conformed. Be transformed. And transformation doesn't just mean brokenness. It means health and life and spiritual prosperity. Not material, but spiritual vitality so that when the earth gives way, I will still praise him. Amen? Ravenhill said, is what you're living for worth Christ dying for on his tombstone? He had that written. Is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? Let that be a good exhortation for us today. And let's close in a word of prayer. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only wise God be glory and majesty, and power, and dominion now, before all time, and forevermore. Amen? Amen. If anyone would like special prayer, I would love to pray with you. God bless you.